Ladies, tell your man about Vanguard Radio. We're the good guys and we're happening. All right, welcome back to VNN Broadcasting. Uh, this is the second hour of Free Talk Live. Whew, we had a rough start. It's kind of um, kind of made the rest of the show a little bit shaky. So, at least for me, anyway, I like to have everything very much in line and ready. And uh, it's um, when something goes wrong like this, it kind of jolts me a little bit. And uh, so, thanks for bearing with us, uh, especially at the beginning of the show. Uh, and until Lita gets back online, and she'll send me a chat message when she does, I'd like to talk about um, uh, a very specific subject, and this has to do with um, uh, what it really means uh, for the Jews to control the higher uh, echelons of uh, the media and the government, because we basically have them telling us our own historical narrative and they have we are really subject to how they see the world and how they tell us the world is and i want to play a number of sound clips to you tonight uh from uh from two sources a uh, a show a documentary from frontline the pbs um program they do pretty good work there uh and it you know, you don't, generally don't see this sort of quality of a documentary on broadcast television, on, on the uh, commercial television. Of course, they have their own shortcomings, but I think we all know what they are. But before I do that, um, the other one, of course, is an NPR piece about Russia, and I'm going to be having some sound clips uh, f- from that piece. Uh, but I'd first like to talk about a book that came out. I don't think it made very big news on the forum, uh, but it was something I paid attention to, and it had to do with um, uh, Bob Woodward's book, State of Denial. Now, this was a book he wrote about the, the Bush White House and the Iraq War, and he did some very good work in there. Uh, but what you need to know, and I think we understand, is that Bob Woodward is a Jew, and what he's doing for, uh, really, what he's doing is he's establishing the f- official historical narrative that is this is what the, the public is going to understand about the war and 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 particularly we all understand now that this war uh, is a failure and we all understand now pretty much this war is a defeat and uh at least a defeat in terms of the conventional understanding of the word and it's it's going to be very important for the Jewish media to explain to the public this defeat, because the the defeat cannot be allowed to be explained to their disadvantage, the Jews' disadvantage. And so this is why you have people like Bob Woodward out there, and he's going to control the, uh, the high-level discussion of the war, and uh, he's going to frame it. And this could be the historical narrative that lasts for a very long time. 
And what does this book say, basically? Well, it says that Cheney, Bush, Rumsfeld, and all are at fault, basically. And what it doesn't say, it doesn't say anything really about Pearl, Fife, uh, APAC, the Project for the New American Century, or the Clean Break document. Uh, it may mention it some, but these are not the main points of the broadcast, and they're certainly not explained in the, ter- in the way uh, uh, these documents, these people are not explained to you as Jews and advancing a Jewish agenda, even though Jews may disagree uh, about something uh, on this war. Uh, these are Jews, and they're doing it for Israel and their ethnic uh, interests, uh, in the case of Mr. Pearl, Fife, uh, and the rest of them. Scooter Libya, for example, another one. Another thing that the Jews do uh, is they turn all politics into some sort of sporting event or some sort of who's on top and who's on bottom. Now, we as Aryans are not interested in personalities we're not interested in uh, is it a three to two or two to three game. Uh, for us, this is a matter of life and death, and that's how we should approach politics. Uh, and that's what we're facing here, uh, especially in the, in the wider terms of um, of hist- history and uh, and such. Uh, it's it's very bad for our for the uh, future of our race to have Jews telling us what the world means to us. Now, let's hop into this uh, front line. And um, this is a video again uh, on the uh, Iraq War. And uh, we will, um, uh, I'm going to have Lita come back on. Lita, are you there? Hello? Yeah. Can Good. you hear me? Yeah. Okay, great. I'm, I'm really sorry about that. My computer's kind of old and it took a while to restart it. Sure. No, you sound better. Now, what I, oh, what good. I, hang, hang on with me a little bit. I want to talk about another subject and, and jump in if you have a question, but I'm talking about, uh, particularly about, we were talking about what it means for Jews to have control over the organs of our government and our media. Uh-huh. And I'm talking a little bit about the, uh, you know, if you need to go to bed because you're, in, you know, you need to get up in the morning and go to school, that that's fine. But if you've got a question, jump in. But we're talking about uh, this. I've got some sound clips I'm going to play about a, a documentary that came out, and while the documentary does not, on PBS, what does not name the Jew, uh, I've, I've, I've made some specific clips uh, for people to listen to, and if you read between the lines, if you're a white nationalist and you have the education, you can understand what these clips are saying. So let's play the first one right now. Okay. Provided by the Park Foundation, committed to raising public awareness. Frontline is made possible by contributions to your PBS station from viewers like you. Thank you. Tonight on Frontline, it was the year the war was won. Freedom's untidy, and free people are free to make mistakes. And the year the war began. 
the insurgency turned out to be bigger than we had expected. There's a war going on inside the administration that they don't even agree what they're doing in Iraq. We can't say what would have happened if it had gone into Iraq with a clear plan. Tonight on Frontline, the lost year in Iraq. Okay, the name of the video is The Lost Year, and it's online. Uh, I'll post the um, the URL so you can see it. Uh, the whole video is online. The whole documentary is online. Now, it, okay, the audio I'm, I'm being told is a little bit quiet. Okay, I'll try to boost it up a little bit uh, in the next one. Um, now, uh, this is... Um, uh, we know, of course, uh, as you'll hear in the next segment, they do a pretty good job of discussing the failures of this war, but they don't tell you everything, but we will. Let me uh, play the next clip here. I'm getting some messages. Oh, good. James Hawthorne watched the, the program. Here, I want to call in James, too, right now and uh, add him to this con conference call. Okay, I'm calling you now, James. Hi, Jeff. Yeah. Let me uh, go ahead and roll this second clip here, and uh, let me find a way to turn up the volume a little bit, because I was told that, uh, yeah, I turned it up a little bit. Okay. Uh, welcome to the broadcast, James. Thank you, Jeff. Now let's the program again. Yeah. Let me um, roll this second clip here while I've got the audience just probably grabbing their seats waiting for it. Here we go. Well, I was contacted by two people, Paul Wolfowitz and Scooter Libby, who was the Vice President's Chief of Staff, who asked if uh, I would be interested in being considered to go over and run the coalition provisional authority. Okay, did you hear those names? Uh, the, na the first name was Paul Wolfowitz mm -hmm. and Mr. Scooter Libby. Mm -hmm. Now, both of those men, I'm going to turn some more volume up a little bit and make sure everyone's getting mm -hmm. it. Both those men are Jews. I'm going to play that clip again. Um, let me go back to that computer. There we go. Very short. Listen carefully. Here we go. I was contacted by two people, Paul Wolfowitz and Scooter Libby, who was the Vice President's Chief of Staff, who asked if uh, I would be interested in being considered to go over and run the coalition provisional authority. Okay, wow. that was uh, L. Paul Brimmer. Uh, Mr. Brimmer was the, uh, basically, he is, uh, in, in the old British days of the British Empire, they had something called a viceroy, and the viceroy was like the, the king uh, <laughs> of, uh, of an area the British had colonized, and uh, because, uh, you know, he, he basically ran the country in the name of the British Empire, and Mr. Brimmer is our viceroy on behalf of Washington, and who picked him? Well, Paul Wolfowitz. And um, and Scooter Libby picked him. That's who picked him, and and they are both officials in the Defense Department underneath Dick Cheney. Now again, the Jews have people. Uh, the Jews normally, when they when they infiltrate a country, even when they they get great power, they don't. Uh, they wouldn't normally elect themselves president, for instance. Uh, right. Not, not normally. They they normally allow a goy to hold that position so that the, the peasantry, that's you and me, folks, uh, they don't get too upset too easily. So um, I just want to, for emphasis, I want to roll something again here. And 
Paul Wolfowitz and Scooter Libby. Paul Wolfowitz and Scooter Libby. And, uh, and you know, jump in here in any time, folks. But, uh, you know, Paul Wolfowitz, who, who is that? Well, Paul Wolfowitz was a sec- yeah, the Undersecretary of Defense in the Bush administration, and he was the architect of the Iraq War, and he and Mr. Wolfowitz is a confirmed and admitted Zionist. Uh, interestingly enough, I I got a little bit of uh, history about this man. Uh, he he lived for a year in Israel while his father taught at the university there, the Insri- the Israel Institute of Technology in Haifa. Haifa. Wolfowitz's sister would later immigrate permanently to Israel. In 1961, he graduated from Ithaca, New York High School. Uh, where he worked in the newspaper. Wolfowitz was excused at that time from military service in the Vietnam War through deferments in order to pursue his academic pursuits. Now, one other interesting uh, thing about this, um, early on when the war was going badly, uh, Mr. Wolfowitz left the Bush administration, and surprise, surprise, guess where he is? He's now president of the World Bank. Now... (laughs) Can't you think of a better position for a Jew? <laughs> anyway, what's of all that, the, Of all the places, of all, all right. the places that Mr. Wolfowitz is going to end up, the World Bank. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Is he not a dual citizen of Israel? What's that, Lita? Is he not a dual citizen? Well, yeah, he's he's a, he's a dual cit. Boy, we got some chop on your line again, Lita. But. Uh, uh, he he is a dual citizen uh, because he can he has Israeli citizenship. But uh, you're right, he is. He's just right. like um, he's just like a uh, skull man or whatever Chertoff. Uh, yes, they Chertoff. are dual citizens. Yeah, and I think that's that really shows you you know who they're really working for, you know whose interests they really have in mind. And I believe I don't know the website address, but I I. I heard that there was, from my cousin Predator, there was this um, poll taken from, I think it was an Israeli website, um, rating American politicians on how good they are for Israel and how much how much they would do for Israel. Oh, sure. I'll, I'd have to give you the link sometime. Um, I, don't, I don't know off the top of my head, but I do know that these kind of polls take place all the time, you know, for anyone who, uh, who oh, feels all, the... All, politi- all, all congressmen are vetted by the... Um, by the Israelis, uh, or their agents. Uh, I think they use the term, I think I was reading in Ostrovsky's book, they use the term say in them uh, as for Jews living in uh, in the United States. But uh, all of them uh, are visited by APAC and, and quiz very carefully about their attitudes towards Israel. And right. um, you can bet if they don't give the right answers, they won't have that job in two years. Nope. And I, I actually heard that uh, a lot of the money that that goes supposedly to support to support Israel, it actually one of the ways it's used is to support different political candidates who are going to be good for Israel. So if there's someone running for Congress in such and such a state, and they have Jewish interests in mind, then the Jews will um, support them and uh, give that that uh, political figure money so yes. that he gets into power. So they really, you know, they fund. All of the, mm-hmm. all of the Shabbos Goy. Now the uh, the other name that, that I mentioned there. Here, let me play it again. Paul Wolfowitz and Scooter Libby. Scooter Libby. Now Scooter Libby, man, that that, that guy Scooter Libby. That guy sounds like some kid I knew when I was growing up, right? Scooter. But now his his real name is I 
Lewis Libby, I. Lewis Libby, Jr., and I think that the I stands for Israel. Now, he is a Jew. Uh, yeah, he is a Jew. I, I, I tried to, I didn't, I couldn't find confirmation in the I standard for uh, for Israel, so I don't want to absolutely say it, it stands for Israel, but it, it probably does. But I do want to mention something about him, because his resume is very similar to Mr. Wolfowitz's, but with one big exception. Believe it or not, Mr. Libby has resigned from his position in the White House after he was indicted on criminal felony charges by a grand jury, and he was charged with uh, one count of obstruction of justice, two counts of perjury, and two counts of making false statements. Uh, this was in connection with the Plame affair, which had to do with members of the Bush uh, crime syndicate team in Washington uh, to smear and slander government officials that opposed the Iraq war. So... Um, Mr. Libby is not is not joining Mr. Wolfowitz in the World Bank, but maybe in fact, uh, uh, well, he'll get off. He'll probably pay some fines and go to Israel. But um, yeah. uh, th- this is um, th- th- these are the two people that have basically appointed the viceroy of Iraq. Now, let's go on with uh, another clip here. Um, Managing Director of Henry Kissinger and Associates. Okay, here. Paul Wolfowitz. And I was contacted by two people, Paul Wolfowitz and Scooter Libby, who was the Vice President's oh, Chief sorry, sorry, of Staff. Oh, God, let's In L. Paul Bremer III, Rumsfeld saw a solution to his problems. A businessman. A diplomat. Managing Director of Henry Kissinger and Associates. Here's a guy who would work for Henry Kissinger but doesn't know a whole lot about the Middle East, doesn't speak Arabic, doesn't know the region. Okay, let me play that clip again, uh, because um, basically, in the first clip, I had mentioned that um, uh, Paul Wolfowitz and Scooter Libby had appointed Viceroy, uh, to as a Viceroy position, Mr. Brimmer, as Viceroy of Iraq. He's like the, um, the king of Iraq on behalf of the Washington uh, tyranny. And uh, Mr. Brimmer is that man that those two Jews appointed. Now, uh, in, at the beginning of this clip, we have Mr. Brimmer speaking, and then uh, and then the frontline people explain a little bit who Mr. Brimmer is and what his uh, resume is. Let's play it once again. In L. Paul Brimmer III, Rumsfeld saw a solution to his problems. A businessman, a diplomat. Managing Director of Henry Kissinger and Associates. Here's a guy who would work for Henry Kissinger, but doesn't know a whole lot about the Middle East, doesn't speak Arabic, doesn't know the region. So here they are. They appoint a guy that's a crony of Henry Kissinger, another Jew, that has been deeply involved in all kinds of shenanigans for this government. And, uh, and he is a big Jew. Henry Kissinger is a very, very big Jew. And so... Basically, behind all of this, we really see, you know, in this case, this film brings to light three big Jews, and obviously the biggest one, well, it's hard to say who's bigger, who's the bigger Jew of the three, but uh, it probably is Henry Kissinger, and basically we see him, even though he is not a government official, he's not a paid advisor uh, of of, uh, George Bush's, we really see him behind uh, the scenes here orchestrating this. And who do they appoint? They appoint uh, a goy, Mr. Brimmer. Uh, I, I researched his background. I, I could not determine him to be a Jew. He does not look like a Jew. 
and he looks very Aryan, in my opinion. Uh, but uh, they appoint this this goy uh, from Henry Kissinger and Associates, a trusted goy. He doesn't speak the language. He's not familiar with the customs of the region. But yet, this guy ends up as the king of Iraq, as the as the viceroy of Iraq. Can you imagine that? Wow. Yeah. Well, what do you think about this, James? The uh, well, I, I, I was able to watch the program. Thanks for giving me the heads up on that, Jeff. Sure. Uh, the wonders of the internet. I can now watch a uh, an American program in the United Kingdom. It is nice. Yeah, it's great. So I, was, I, I watched it last night, and uh, <laughs> I was quite to tell you the truth. I was quite shocked. Frontline is one one of my favorite documentary programs that I try to uh, try to watch as as often as I can. They and do good was, work. Yeah, I was quite shocked. But when you watch this program, and I posted it on the uh, Free Talk Live thread. Oh, good. Everyone, uh, to, to go in uh, and watch. But it just shocked me. It shocked me for two reasons. Uh, everything that these so-called hierarchical politicians, um, you know, two things hit me slap in the forehead. One was naivety on part of the United States and their illegal invasion and Great Britain too by the way illegal invasion of a sovereign state okay naivety one and then the second part that really slapped me on the forehead was stupidity mm-hmm. so I watching that whole hour program everything that went on two things came to my uh, came to me naivety and stupidness totally uh-huh. On behalf of, you know, the so-called greatest nation on earth. Well, you know, th- there's 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 a couple things that, you know, I am puzzled by this, this thing. Of course, there's a lot of things we could discuss, and there's one more sound clip to play, but there's a lot of things to discuss. One of the things I didn't mention that, uh, in, in these sound clips is that the Congolese Rice, they all but admitted she was totally outclassed by these white men, mm-hmm. um, by Cheney and Rumsfeld, and uh, she could not keep up, and she had to go out and get, um, she had to go out and get a big white man uh, to come <laughs> in Blackwell uh, to basically, uh, you know, make sure her her voice was being held. But you know, you're right; it was utter <laughs> stupidity, and and it was, uh, yeah, it was it was terribly flawed. But you know. I want, I was trying to think beyond that, and and that is certainly true, uh, and and I, and I think in in a way they that's all the Jews really want us to know, right, about the war, and uh, but there's more to it than that, and and you know obviously we have this group of Jewish neoconservatives, and they got us into this mess. They're and, quite uh, sorry, to that, Jeff, but they're quite happy to have Iraq in this. Well, that's what I thought now. too. They're quite happy now because Iraq does not pose a threat to the state of Israel now. Yeah, I, I've often thought that this hornet's nest that's been stirred up over there, this quagmire, this this uh, this this Vietnam redux, is exactly what they wanted. Yep. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, you know, and obviously, you know, you ha- what, what do you have here? You have basically after the invasion, after after Bush says victory achieved. On the aircraft carrier, Paul Wolfowitz, he jumps ship. Yeah, he goes off to the World Bank and starts telling Russia to open up its borders to niggers. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's exactly what he's doing. Yeah, 
if we go back in history to when the state of Iraq was first uh, founded, yeah, um, you know, it was part of the British Empire. Mm-hmm. Iraq as a nation is not truly a nation. Iraq has always been three entities. It's always been the Shias, Sunnis. It's always been the Kurds. Mm-hmm. Iraq, when the Iraq as we see today as a nation was set up by the British government, the, the British nation, the British Empire. And even at that time it was set up, it was a situation where it was trying to make the best of of the of the three you know communities in Iraq who hate each other. Uh-huh. So Iraq as a nation was forced on these three communities by default by the British government by the British Empire. Yes, in the wake of um, in the wake of, in the wake of World War One, it was actually wasn't it. Um wasn't it a result of a secret deal in the middle of World War One, the Sykes-Picot Agreement? Yeah, I think is um, in 1916 it was um, it was actually created as a um, as a secret agreement between France uh, and uh, and I think France and Britain that France would get Lebanon and that um, uh, and I, I'm not I don't I don't hate Europe for being imperialist I. I Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not what I'm getting at, James. I'm not one of those uh, uh, Americans that, that holds their nose up and says, "You awful imperialists." I'm not like that at all. <laughs> and and uh, I actually, I actually think that you know, uh, white Americans should not only take back the land mass of um, of the United States, but we should take a big chunk of Canada as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, but anyway, that's another problem, uh, another issue to discuss. But um, anyway. Uh, yeah, I think it was uh, uh, the French got Lebanon, and the um, and the British got Iraq. And as always, <laughs> the British got the better of that deal. I think in terms of oil, because there's no oil in Lebanon. So anyway, uh, enough of uh, of this digression. Let's uh, let's play clip four. This is uh, from the Frontline uh, documentary that's online about the Iraq War. Uh, the, in particular, the first year of the Iraq War. So anyway, here we go. Then, during briefings with the top civilian leaders in the Pentagon, Paul Wolfowitz and Douglas Fife, Bremer heard an idea he could use. This is going to blow your mind. I think they emphasized Germany and the occupation of Germany, and that both Paul Wolfowitz and Douglas Fife, the two top policy people at the Pentagon, both are from are members of Holocaust. Both are Jews. Families who were deeply damaged by the Holocaust. Fife and Wolfowitz drew parallels between Saddam's bath party and the Nazis. Okay, let's let's play that one more time so I don't step into this, but uh, I think you, you heard it uh, uh, for yourself. Let's then, during briefings with the top civilian leaders in the Pentagon, Paul Wolfowitz and Douglas Fife, Bremer heard an idea he could use. I think they emphasized Germany and the occupation of Germany, and that both Paul Wolfowitz and Douglas Fife, the two top policy people at the Pentagon, both are from are members of Holocaust families, families who were deeply damaged by the Holocaust. Fife and Wolfowitz drew parallels between Saddam's Ba'ath Party and the Nazis. All right, so there it is, folks. What you've got is here, you've got the, the, the two main um, fact, the two main people that are really telling George Bush what to do, along with Kissinger looming in the background. Uh, you've got them fighting uh, their battles. We've, we've got them, the Jews are still fighting Adolf Hitler, 
and there, and all of the enemies that are the Jews are are Adolf Hitler. And yes. a, if, if I'm the Holocaust, I'm the Holocaust too. Yeah, as well. They're fighting. They're, they're still fighting Germany. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's a, it's trying to say that um, if you do not support this war, you're anti-Semitic. Well, that too. So well, they they did that early on in the in in terms of um, the, uh, the the opposition to the war. Uh, they did that early right. on. Uh, there were people who pointed out that there was a lot of Jews behind this war planning, and they were called anti-Semitic. And right. Uh, and right now, you don't hear that quite as much, as because you know everyone knows the thing is such a big disaster. Uh, well, not to go ahead. not to mention the fact that Arabs are Semitic too. So, <laughs> you know, uh, the Jews like to say that just, you know, they, they hide behind that title, but Semitic people are all the Middle Eastern people, you know, but when you hear some Semite, you think Jew. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, this is so. part of the game they play, like like telling us that uh, what happened in Russia was the Russian Revolution, right? Uh, I mean, it wasn't the Russian Revolution, it was the uh, Jew-Bolshevik Revolution, and, and of course the Russian people get, uh, they they have to end up carrying the bag, but you know, I, right. I, I'm just uh, I'm I'm really shocked this much information got out into this uh, into this um, video. Now, when you when you read uh, when you when you watch part that was that was uh, these clips are both from part one and part two, and then pretty much in, uh, although the other parts I think there's six parts altogether or five, uh, the other parts are, are good, but there's no more uh, suggestions uh, that uh, you know. They're not putting out the the role of Jews anymore uh, in, in this film. But again, uh, you know, I've got to stress these people like Kissinger and uh, and Wolfowitz and Fife. These are the key players in this whole affair. And you see them pointing this goy front man to go off into Iraq, even though he kind of botches things up a bit, uh, and you know, that doesn't even know the re the, the area. And then you know you you see that these the the mindset of these two Jew neocons they're still fighting Adolf Hitler they're still fighting the Nazis and and next time you know a few years ago the Nazi was Slo Slobodan Milosevic uh, yeah. you know who, who knows you know and then it was the, the Nazi was uh, Saddam Hussein who knows who it'll be next Ahmadinejad yeah Ahmadinejad you're right hey you said his name pretty good. <laughs> I must admit, Jeff, I, when I watched the program uh -huh. uh, and the Holocaust came up, and then how uh, that the, they mentioned that the uh, the Bath Party was a, you know, uh, basically a, a reconstruction of the German National Socialist Party. I, 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 oh yeah, I, 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 I had a good hoot on that one. Well, you know, that, that was a very interesting catch, uh, 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 James, because uh, what I have read about Saddam Hussein in books. Is that he was not an, a so much a uh, admired of Adolf Hitler as he was Joseph Stalin, mm -hmm. and he he had um, a, you know you don't know how much of this is true because you know you have the Jew the Jewish filter, yep. but he was uh, he had he had actually visited Russia, and he had visited um, the homes of Joseph Stalin, and, and he apparently had quite a collection of uh, of uh, Bolshevik. Uh, uh, Things I don't think he thought. I don't think he. Maybe he did not know that you know this was a Jewish-inspired regime. I think he he liked Stalin in particular because he was an authoritarian strongman, yeah. and he died in his own bed. Uh, and I think uh, I think Saddam you know liked that. Um, you know Hitler was 
you know, ultimately he can be judged a failure is because he lost the war, and and I think for someone like Saddam, that was not, you know, someone, uh, you know, he would follow. But you, know. you read, uh, you read anything about Saddam Hussein, and he was totally f- uh, fixated about Saladin, the great Arab leader. Yeah, I've read that the too. A- the great Arab leader who would unite all the Arab lands and uh, probably push, try and push the Jews into the sea. So he and the, the great Saladin would ride round uh, on, on the white horse, and uh, obviously that was Saddam's big thing was to drive, ride around on the big white horse. But yeah, everything we read about him, it wasn't Adolf Hitler. That was his main inspiration. It was, uh, it was Saladin. The, mm-hmm. So well, yeah, that was just uh, yeah. Well, that, that would that make more sense since he's Arab and not, you know. I mean, yeah. why would an Arab idolize some Russian guy? That doesn't make any sense, especially when the Muslim religion is so um, strict and orthodox. You know, they don't usually branch out into, you know, other other people and and, and other uh, you know national leaders. Well, that's so that's that, the interesting thing about Saddam is is that actually he was a. And this, I think that's one reason Lita, but why he was so dangerous is because he was a secular leader. Uh, I, I, I've spoken with a, with, with um, a couple people I know from Iraq, and um, uh, Saddam used to go into mosques with uh, the, you know, the mosque is like the church for the Muslims. He used to go into these mosques with his boots on, and he used to, uh, you know, he used to, you know, uh, he kept the. Uh, the Islamic radicalism down to a minimum in his country while he ruled there, and um, and in fact he was, in the interest of his own politics, he was quite good to the Christian community actually in, in Iraq, uh, ironically yeah. enough, uh, because he you know he wanted to you know keep them in his good graces for his own political reasons. But um, I, I think that's one reason why he was so dangerous, is um, you know he he did have that appeal to Arabs. That went beyond um, the Muslim uh, radicalism, but oh well. There's a big thing in the in the Arab world, not only the uh, secular Arab world, but also the uh, Islamist Arab world is looking for that great one leader that's going to unite all the Arabs, all the Arab nations to come together, come together in in in, in the great caliphate. Uh, the only people. Uh, who really truly believe this and are moving everything to make to achieve this are, are the Islamists, you know. But again, you know, Arabs being Arabs, they're all divided amongst tribes yeah. and, and the whole that that whole nightmare. But the still and I know that's the, the the strange dichotomy at the moment with with the secular Arabs and the religious Islamists. They're, they're looking for this one leader. To unite the Arab lands and mm-hmm. and to come and you know fight the infidels for the most part. Us. I've got a uh, announcement to make. I got I got uh, two changes for the show here. Um, Lita is going to have to go, and we we expected this because she has um, obligations in the morning, and uh, we'd like to say thank you, Lita, for joining us again. Well, thank you very much for having me on. I I really appreciate it. It was a great honor. Well, it, yeah, we've all learned something and. Uh, Hang in there, and, and uh, uh, I'm on your side, and I know that many listening tonight are also on your side. So you know, when you're out there by yourself, um, you know, know that we're uh, we're we're pulling for you. Thank you. It's great to know that, really. And I I didn't know that about Paul Robinson, or I believe that was his name. I didn't know he was a Stalinist idolizer. So yeah, that's it's good to 
good to know. Okay. So. The second, bye bye, Lita. The s- okay. Make sure you bye-bye. hit the red the red button the red um, uh, button on Skype to okay, hang up. Okay. Thank you. Good night. Oh, good night. The second announcement is is that uh, that Todd is here. Hello. There, there you are, Todd. Good. So uh, just to review for the listeners, we have um, on the line we have uh, James Hawthorne from Great Britain. We have Todd from Florida, and we have uh, uh, Jeff here from the belly of the Quaw. <laughs> <laughs> okay, at least we don't have someone from Australia. That, that, that's a mind blower when that happens. <laughs> so anyway, um, let's um, uh, Todd. Before, before we go on to this Russia business, and you know, after I get this Russia business over, it's going to be it's gonna, the format's just going to be blown wide open, and we can talk about uh, the Bush terror laws or anything you want. But uh, do you have any comments on this film, Todd? Um, honestly, I haven't watched the film. I just got off work at uh, 9 p.m., so I just the only thing I've heard of the film is the clips that you played. Okay. Um, and I wanted to further comment on what you were saying about Saddam. And um, it's interesting to note that before Shock and Awe of 2003, um, and especially, you know, during the 80s and 90s when he was in power, we got to, you know, keep in mind, this guy has been in power since 1975. I think so. I think about 75. Um, he basically, he took all the violent criminals, put them in jail. He kept all the different sects of the Muslims separated, Okay. And, um, you know, he kept the Kurds to the north. Now, as a, as a sub-side note, I, I have to say, I, I still don't believe that Saddam attacked the Kurds. I think it was... I do. I don't the, either. I think it was the Iranians, because I've heard reports that they were attacked with, was it mustard gas? And yeah. I think that uh, the CIA... Palabja. Right. Yeah. The, I think the CIA had sold the mustard gas... I don't think they ever sold it to Iraq. I think it was something that they had sold to uh, Iran exclusively. Now, I mean, that, that's that's a long shot, but, I mean, then you have to take into account any time that the Jew points their finger at somebody, <laughs> Poor there's got to be another back. side. Yeah. There's got to be another side to the story. Yeah. But it's interesting uh, to, to follow up on my point. Um, right. When the United States did attack Iraq, um, he let all the violent criminals out of jail, and then all the Muslims had united against each other. And look what's happening right now. You've got all these generals saying, look, we've got a problem there. It's going to be a civil war. And just this month, it's been the most violent month on record. And I don't know if you all had caught it or not. This morning I was watching the news that they were saying this was just a short you know, blurb. Um, it was like a breaking news uh, bulletin that they had posted on CNN that active enlistments are um, basically they're saying, look. Well, hey, hey, Todd, Todd, that that that's that. Let's talk. I, we talked about that in an email. Let's uh, let, or PM. Let's talk about that uh, later in the show. Kind of rambling. So if you yeah. want to continue with yeah. that, sure, go ahead. I want to I want to follow in this theme, and uh, you, you know, you bring up a very good point. I, I don't drop it. Uh, I, w- I want to follow in this theme, basically. That from the beginning of the second hour, when I started talking about Woodward's book, uh, State of Denial, and Woodward being a Jew, and you know, defining really for the public and for the history books what happened, uh, and according to the Jewish filter, 
and then I started talking about this uh, this very good documentary uh, and and how these you know big three Jews Kissinger, uh, Fife, and Wolfowitz how they were involved in directing this war and uh, and you know what that means for us obviously and uh, and then and and what I want to talk about next. Uh, again, this is a consequence of the Jew having control of our uh, media. What we have here is a discussion on NPR about Russia between Robert Siegel and a man named Mr. Goldman uh, from Harvard University. And so we have two Jews on NPR talking about Russia, and we all know uh, the Jews had a pretty rough time in Russia before they overthrew the Tsar. So uh, Jews have an axe to grind when it comes to Russia, and... Uh, uh, just keep that in mind here. Okay, I'm going to play clip one. Dozens of non-governmental organizations have stopped work in Russia as they await approval of their applications to operate. Among those groups are Amnesty International and Human Rights Watch. The Russian Justice Ministry is in charge of the registration process, and a statement it issued yesterday distinguished between the process of re-registration and liquidation. Marshall Goldman of Wellesley Marshall College and Goldman. Harvard's Davis Center joins us from Cambridge, Massachusetts, and... Uh, Marshall, what do you think? Merely bureaucracy or is this harassment? It's a little both. Uh, certainly the Russians love bureaucracy, but it's also harassment. They Actually, we had a meeting with Putin. He said, why is the Ford Foundation spending money on non-governmental organizations in Moscow? Don't you have enough problems uh, in the United States that need addressing? Uh, they see this as kind of a Trojan horse, bringing in horse, yeah. Western human rights people, Western political people, with the idea of trying to create a backlash of the sort that happened in Georgia and Ukraine. Okay. So basically w what we have here is that uh, Russia is uh, taking actions against these, uh, quote, NGOs, which are like uh, these uh, these non-governmental organizations that uh, go into these countries and start interfering uh, uh, in, the, uh, uh, in the politics of Russia. And what he's referring to is that Georgia and the Ukraine – uh, these non-governmental organizations went in there and fomented a revolution, uh, and uh, uh, a, a revolution that was anti-Russian. And I want to—I want you all to keep in mind what has gone on in Russia since Putin took office, and he's chased a lot of these uh, Jewish oligarchs out of the country, and uh, and uh, and you know uh, liquidated their wealth. And, uh, and, you know, no one really understands Putin very well. I, I don't know if he's one of us or not, but he's done a lot of things that are hostile to Jewish interests, including locking up one of the big Jews over there. And um, so you, you've got to understand that they're, they're approaching this discussion on NPR like there's something wrong with Russia. But uh, I think from a white nationalist perspective, uh, when I listen to the show, I say, hey, they're doing something right. <laughs> Right. So, uh, go ahead, Jeff. That clip that you played, I could barely hear it. Now, I don't know what okay. it sounded like on uh, the radio show to the listeners, but I could just barely pick it up. Yeah. That, now, this this uh, this does happen uh, uh, through Skype, uh, okay. and uh, so uh, and it does often come out a, uh, louder on uh, on. Okay. On, that's, that, fine, that's okay. Now, I'm glad you mentioned it. Let me let me turn things up a little bit. Uh, I'll, I'll max them out so that everybody. Uh, so I'll max them out so it's the maximum possible level, and then uh, so because we do want people to hear it. Now, when they listen to the archives, it'll be it'll be crystal clear. So thank you, Todd, for for telling us that. Sure. Okay. Okay, I turned that up considerably. Uh, so 
Okay, let's go ahead and roll with clip two. James, if you have anything to say, let us know. Yes, sir. Okay, let's see here. All right, let me go back to this other directory. Okay, clip two. If you were to try to uh, cite some historical precedent or some other country in the world, some some place that we could imagine as a model for what Russia is today, uh, sometime after uh, the end of Soviet rule, but hardly a thriving democracy at this point. What would you say? What, what is it like? Well, this will be offensive, I suspect, but it, you know, it, it's a corporate state, state corporatism, if you will. More and more of the uh, companies are being renationalized, stepping away from what took place under the Yeltsin government, and they are serving as what Putin himself calls national champions. And so what you're doing is you're having a marriage between these corporate entities and the state. Okay, he's basically hinting at something here, and he'll 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 tell us exactly what he's getting at. But I think most people know. Again, what he's what Putin has done is he has uh, taken these companies, these uh, and some of these companies. You got to understand uh, some of these interests in Russia uh, that the Jews uh, took over after uh, during Yeltsin's term. Uh, uh, when they take over, like the forest industry. They're literally taking over uh, tracts of land that are like half the size of the United States, and they have wealth that's just unbelievable. And uh, you know, I think wealth greater than Bill Gates even. And uh, so uh, this is this is what they're talking about here. Is that this is what Putin has done? And we mentioned that in in the second clip. Now, before we comment here, I will play this short clip, and he'll tell us exactly what he what he thinks of Mr. Putin and, and what Putin's doing. That's, what that's, a, that's it. So, uh, you know, you have to look at where, where there was a corporate state. Well, you can look at Italy under Mussolini and, and Germany under Hitler. Uh, <gasps> I don't mean to say for a second that the concentration camps are up and operating. Oh, uh, okay. So he doesn't mean to say it, but then he says it, right? And he says <laughs> he drops uh, the Hitler, he drops into the conversation concentration camps. But, no, he doesn't really mean that. And so... Uh, uh, that's that's what the uh, you know the NPR listeners are getting. So go ahead. Well, you know it's interesting that any time the Jew wants to talk about another country, they all start from this angle about how the populace is being victimized by the the economy that's horrible because of what the leadership is doing. You know, and you know I don't even know why the Jews are trying this. Russia's already got nukes. No one's going to tell Russia what to do. Mm-hmm. And certainly they're not, I, I mean, if they're trying to get the, the opinion of people in the United States to turn against Russia, what does it matter anyway? The United States is not going to ever attack Russia. So I don't, I don't know why they're trying to do this at all. You know, that's a good question. And, you know, but, you know, obviously uh, Russia is, and Huntington talks about that in his book, um, uh, Class of Civilizations. You know, Russia is a geopolitical foe of the United States. Absolutely, and uh, and you know they're they're assisting Iran and and uh, and they're doing everything. I, I personally think that the, that the Jews are mad about what Putin has done, and they don't like it, and they want their positions back, and uh, and and that's what I think. Yeah, I could believe that. I mean, yeah. And, and here's the thing about the Jew: even though they've gone through Russia and ransacked everything yes. and taken out all of the, you know, who knows how many treasures and gems and right. and, and money and cash and, and, of course, all the lives. What was it, like 60 million people in Russia alone that they 
Yeah. That's not enough for them. They want back in. They want to communize it again, and they want their own stake. It just, you know, the more that you give the Jew, the more that they want. Mm-hmm. That's the bottom line. They can't, they can't get enough. You, they can never be satisfied. You know, you give them, and that's what, that's the thing. It's like you look at, uh, you know, one good example was back about ten years ago when the Swiss banks gave them all the that oh, yeah. gold. You know, that that's still not enough for them. They're still crying about, you know, Hitler and the Holocaust, and they can't shut up about it. You know the Jews cannot shut up. It's, a, it's the bottom line is that they they keep going. It's like a broken record. And when they finally get something, then they're, they're going to find something else that they need. So after they've, you know, they're done with Germany, they're going to go to Russia now. Oh, well, look at what the leadership is doing to the economy. The poor people there. You know, come on. So squeeze the orange, throw away the rind. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and uh, so. Well, okay, we just got two more short clips, and um, uh, actually, uh, Mr. Goldman tells some very surprising truths about Russia in these next two, uh, which uh, ought to um, ask uh, why we aren't in a better position economically. Now we have the third largest holdings of currency and gold reserves in the world, only after China and Japan. I mean, eight years ago, they were bankrupt, and, and now they're, they're just riding high. Yeah, how about that, folks? Russia has the third largest uh, reserve of uh, gold and, and currency in the world. And uh, you wonder why the Jews are interested in Russia. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, there was a little bit of static there, so let me, let me play that again. Listen to it, and, and look at our position, folks. Our currency, you know, you, you know our currency, how, what, what, what a mess it's in. Uh, listen, listen to this. We now have the third largest holdings of currency and gold reserves in the world, only after China and Japan. I mean, eight years ago they were bankrupt, and and now they're they're just riding high. And he dares criticize Putin. Amazing. Yeah, Amazing. We, all, we all better all start learning Russian. <laughs> it sounds like they're doing pretty good. They yeah. must be doing something right. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I, I've cut this uh, interview down quite a bit, and you know, most of this uh, interview, this is right at the tail end. Most of this interview has to do with like these uh, evil foreshadowings of. Uh, of Adolf Hitler and Germany and all this kind of stuff, and then you know here at the end we really see uh, that you know they, they don't mention, of course, Russia's demographic problems either. But uh, you know Russia's not so bad, and you know maybe Russia, uh, maybe Putin's doing the right thing by by renationalizing these industries and and getting them out of the global uh, Jewish scam. Here, one last clip, and then we'll we'll move on. When we met with Putin in September, he was asked what are his accomplishments, and he says, when I came into office, over 30% of the population was below the poverty line. Now it's down to about 17, 18%, and uh, there are still very poor people. This is not that new a world, but it is quite different than it was eight years ago when the banks were closing, they couldn't pay their bills. And industry was in dire straits as well. Well, Marshall Goldman, thank you very much for talking with us. All right. So that's that's basically the end of my little presentation about uh, three examples of how the Jews are shaping our historical consciousness and telling us about the world through their filter. And, you know, as James says on his show, uh, The Hawthorne Report, he brings you news without the Jewish filter, and there is no Jew between me and you. Correct. Ha, 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 ha.
So anyway, thanks for bearing with me, folks. I hope you enjoyed the... No, that was awesome. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I'll tell you what. There's a lot about Russia that we don't know. Mm-hmm. I know that they... You know, I mean, I only can get what... As far as Russia goes, I only can get what uh, the United States is telling me. Yeah. Okay? I have to read between the lines often. And um, one thing I do know, though, is that um, during the... The Salt Two talks, where they said, "Okay, let's. Uh, we've got to minimize the amount of nukes that uh, we've got, and the Russia's got to minimize their nukes." So you know, you got Reagan and uh, Gorbachev sitting there going, "Okay, so yeah, let's do that." Um, you know, and then you know, it's, it's, Reagan was touted as being the one that uh, you know pretty much ended the Cold War between Russia and the United States, and one of the main things, I mean, other than the the wall being broken down, which I think was merely purely theatrical, but another thing was um, that uh, the Salt II talks were uh, were a success. But if you read the treaties between the two countries, it reduced the amount of nuclear warheads but it did not reduce the amount of nukes themselves. What they did, it's not like they disarmed the nuke itself. What they did was they just took the warhead and made a bigger missile. So you got you got tons and tons of missiles. Well, now we've reduced the amount of missiles. Yeah, they did, but instead of having a small missile, like, say, ten small missiles, now they've got one large missile. So um, Russia never disarmed itself like uh, the, the Reagan administration will have us believe. They've still got the same amount of military power that they did and, you know, 20 years later who knows how much more. But uh, they've got a, an incredible amount of underground bases so even by satellite, the United States doesn't know what Russia's doing underground. Um, and I, and I've, I've read that theme over and over again, that the, the amount of underground uh, facilities that Russia has uh, eclipses anyone else in the world, even the United States. You know, the United States has quite a few underground bases, but, you know, you look at the landmass of Russia, they could be doing anything over there. Yeah. We have, no, we have no idea. And I think that's one thing that scares the Jews is that they don't know what's going on over there. Putin's in control. Uh, you know, he's jailing people, wh- whacking reporters, and uh, they don't know, and and he's got money too, and they don't have any power in his government. So he could be building all kinds of weapons uh, to take over the world, and uh, you know, they, and they don't know about it, and that's what kills them, is they don't know what's going on. It may be the uh, the Englishman in me, but I am still totally, maybe I'm totally confused about Putin. I I, I really am. Um, I, I read stuff online from Russian National Socialist sources and he's starting to clamp down on, on white nationalists and National Socialists in Russia. He's allowed Jews, oligarch Jews, to flee Russia. One of these filthy yids is the name of Abramovich in London who bought the Chelsea Football Club for multi-millions 
He lives in two big houses in London. He roams around all over the world in his private planes, private helicopters, private yachts, private ships. He's allowed to do this. He was allowed to free the country. Then I read the report. He is funding Putin at at the the election that Putin was standing. This guy, Armabarovich, is a Jew oligarch who stole multi-billions from the Russian people. Wait a minute. Now, one of those folks, one of those folks that uh, Putin chased out of Russia, he ended up in London. Oh, yeah. He was a friend of this Abramovich, yeah. Yeah, he, uh, what was his name? Was that Berezovsky? Berezovsky, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, this guy is, oh, this is great. Now, if, 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 if anyone believes that the Jews don't run, uh, Britain as well as the United States, they're, they're out of their mind. Now, this guy, this guy was some sort of criminal low-life gangster in Russia. And he, he ended up taking over all these industries and, and, uh, you know, just being a, a, a complete Jewish gangster. And then, uh, and then, uh, so finally, Putin says, "Hey, enough with you, pal. I've got power now. You're out of here." And probably, probably was on the way to jailing him uh, before he got out of there. And uh, so, what does Britain do? Britain welcomes him with open arms. Asylum, yeah. And they yeah. gave this asylum. Uh, and then they gave this this uh, Abramovich total asylum. And he had so much asylum, he bought a well-known English soccer team for multi-million dollars, multi-million pounds. You know, he, he bought his asylum ship. Yeah, he's lording it over. You know, he, he's got all these models, and he's doing. Even though he's married now, and his his wife now is has had enough, and she's going to divorce him. But it's just about this guy funded Putin in the election that Putin won, and you know, it just. I don't know if Putin's playing the game here, but if he's playing the game, I'm totally confused. What the hell he's doing? Well, he could be just another tyrant. You know, it could be just like, I mean, yeah. you know, you take Stalin, for instance. You know, Stalin himself, he killed a lot of Jews as well. He just took advantage of the, you know, Jewish communist machine and said, I'm going to get into power. He did. Let me tell you what, Stalin um, killed a lot of Jews. And he put them out, a lot of them out of office as well. And it wasn't until, you know, he, you know, he died pretty much that... Uh, you know, the, but by the time he he was dead, the, the communist machine was pretty much over. So, um, but I, you, I think, go ahead. If, if, if you look, if, if if you dig deep online, you'll see large scale. Since Putin came into power, you'll see large scale African immigration is not only uh, coming into Russia; it's flooding into Russia. Large scale, for some strange reason, large scale African immigration is happening. Well, now, when you're saying a policy change, is this a policy change to let all immigrants into the country? Well, wait a minute. Wait, I know a little bit of information about this. Sorry, sorry, let me jump in there. What is happening is, and this came out, and I think you'll remember this too, uh, Tata, if you saw it, is that uh, Wolfowitz, and we talked about him earlier, he went to the mm-hmm. World Bank, and he, Im- he immediately started, this was two years ago, he immediately started pressing Russia to allow immigration and uh, and when you're president of the World Bank and and you have all these financial levers, uh, you have real power. And uh, I suspect that um, this Russia has been fighting this actually and resisting a lot of it. I, I'm surprised to hear what James said because um, 
because I've read some things where Russia has done things to stop immigration uh, into their country from non by, from non-whites. But uh, I know that that Wolfowitz, as president of the World Bank, and these international money lending institutions have been hammering Russia about opening their doors. So if there are niggers streaming into Russia, uh, this is why. Yeah. Sorry about that, Todd. Yeah, that's fine. I'm, I'm, yeah. uh, I was just wondering, though, if, if he didn't have, uh, you know, because there's like two policies. I mean, you've got the European Union, which says, all right, look, you know, you're part of the European Union. You have to s- accept your own share of uh, refugees. And then you've got active policy that's written by the Jews that says, let's go ahead and accept, you know, these people into the country and give them benefits when they get here. Uh, for example, when you know um, France and Germany accepts Muslims into their countries, that's like that. That's beyond just relaxing the the standards of immigration. That's you know getting to the point where they're being proactive about inviting them into the country. Yeah. So what I'm trying to figure out is how many niggers are being in, you know let into the country versus invited into the country. And in invitation, I'm talking about giving them benefits to come into the country. Like the United States, you know, when they give... I mean, they don't have to give the Mexicans benefits till they come into the country. All they have to do is just not put a fence up. Uh, but as far as, like, the Muslims go, uh, when they let people from India into the country or anywhere else, uh, the Mexicans don't understand this, but as soon as they come into the country and they get a citizenship, they can start a business and be tax-free for three years. I think now I've read an, that. That's an open invitation to non-whites to come into the country. Of course, the Mexicans aren't s- smart enough to understand that, but that's why you've got all these ragheads around the country that are buying up, you know, they buy up the hotels and the, you know, the little convenience stores and stuff like that. They don't pay taxes on any of that shit. I mean, they're totally tax-free, and when, after they run the uh, business for three years, then they sell it to a relative who then also comes into the United States, and he runs the business tax-free for three years. Okay, so <laughs> that's an open invitation for them to come here, and I'm just wondering, is Putin inviting non-white immigrants into his country by giving them benefits like that, or is it just a relaxation of uh, immigration standards? I don't know. I mean, we just have, all I'm saying to everybody is just be... Don't be jumping on the uh, on the Putin bandwagon so quickly. Just be very very careful about Absolutely, this man. Yeah. You know, just you know, he's a you know, he comes across as an establishment politician. Maybe he is, maybe he's not. All I would say is just be very careful and uh, let's just watch him and see what happens. So far, he he's been doing okay, but you know, you just never know. He could be as as we say, where I'm from, he could just be playing the game. It's a wild card with Russia, but I'll, I'll give you my take. And, and uh, Putin uh, came out of the CIA, and he was one of the very last. Uh, when yeah, first of all, let's let's back up a little bit. The guy that was there before him, I'm just doing this for the listeners who don't know, because uh, I'm sure everyone in this panel knows, was Boris Yeltsin. And Boris Yeltsin was a drunk, and he was a stooge of the banking interests like Goldman Sachs. And he did exactly whatever they wanted. And he he's the one uh, who basically handed over all those Russian state enterprises to the Jews and to the oligarchs. And he was a he was a stooge for the banking interests. That, that's it. He was a drunk, and and uh, that and you know that's it. He made an ass out of himself, and 
and uh, and that's basically his epilogue. And uh, near the end of Yeltsin's term, there was a series of successors that he was trying to groom, and they all failed, and they all, uh, uh, you know, it's they all failed for various reasons. Uh, they they weren't liked, or something happened to them. They got shot, or or, or something like this. And then the, the very last one, there were like four or five uh, people that uh, that Yeltsin had had put, had 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 groomed to take him take over him. I, I imagine it wasn't Yeltsin; it was the Jews. And um, uh, P- Putin was the very last one they they that they could get in there. And Putin was a KGB officer, and uh, I suspect that if you're a KGB officer, you keep your cards pretty close to your chest, and uh, and you keep uh, you know a lot of secrets about a lot of people, and you know how to act, and you know how to uh, keep your private feelings to yourself. And my guess is they, um, my guess is, and I don't know, I agree with James. Don't 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 make a bet on him, but. My guess is that he, he he slipped through, and he wasn't thoroughly vetted. As and I say, the the guy that we have uh, here in London, Abramovich, and, and as I say, uh, he bought the Chelsea Football Club, cost him millions, multi millions, yeah. to buy to buy the soccer club. It's one of London's second largest uh, soccer clubs. Um, he has free reign to do uh, whatever he wants. Yeah. If you go back and see what this Abramovich did, he stole from the Russian people yeah. billions of dollars worth of oil from the Russian people. He stole it. He stole this money from the Russian people. What? There's a reason why he's in London, not in Moscow right now. Because the guy's a Jewish thief. Yeah, he's crafty enough. In, in London, he funded Putin's campaign. Yeah. That's right. So, I, 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 that's the funny thing about him. He had the support of these Jews for Yeltsin to for Yeltsin to, to bring him into the, the the Kremlin and to groom him for power. Uh, he, he had to have the support of the Jews. Now, so you know, then you have to ask yourself, well, uh, what happened? Right? Why did he end up uh, jailing all these oligarchs and uh, running them out of the country? Uh, did he did he do as I suggested? He did he privately know what was going on in Russia, and just and just keep his thoughts to himself? And then mm-hmm. and, and and luckily he ended up at, at the top of the heap. Uh, you know, I, I, in these situations, I always go back to Winston Churchill when he wrote that article in yeah. the Illustrated Sunday Herald, yeah. Sunday Herald of 1923, whatever it was, where he uh, in a, a full page article in that newspaper he talks about. Uh, Jews, Jewish Bolshevism, and 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 everything that is mentioned about you know what's going on today. Winston Churchill mentioned it in this article. International Jews, everything. All right. Well, look. And then okay. as we co- as we come towards you know uh, towards 1939, Winston Churchill flipped like a coin. He did. And we all know why he got because of his death situation. His debt got paid off by the Jews. I'm not saying Putin's uh, uh, a Jewish lackey, but I, all I'm saying to everybody is just be very, very careful. And let's not put all let's not put all our coins on him right now. If we're lucky, let's, let's just see where he goes. Yeah, if we're lucky, he's a he's a Churchill in reverse. 
Hopefully, yeah, yeah. Let's, yeah. Let's be let's be rational about this for a second. Okay. For I mean, we all know that any white world leaders know the score on the Jews. That's a fact. I think so. And whether whether it's Roosevelt or Churchill, even Bush, they've got you know they got tapes of Bush. I, I don't know where they're at, but I mean, I've seen. I've heard about these tapes where it's like, yeah, we're going to get the Jews as well, or I understand the Jewish problem, that kind of thing. He, Bush is not stupid. He acts like he's stupid. He gets on the, you know, the, the t- television and says things that, you know, we're just like, why is he saying something like that? <clears throat> but the bottom line is they all understand about the Jews, and they all understand that they've got a lot of power. But for us to say that, okay, Putin is in the Jewish corner because he's uh, arresting white nationalists and he's letting a lot of blacks into the country, I, I think that's like, you know, I, I, I think it's a little bit out of taking that way out of context and saying, well, he's not on our side at all. I'm, I'm cautious because he's just a world leader. And all world leaders who are given power have, you know, an opportunity to become a tyrant and not care about the people in their country, uh, and the majority of which are in his country are white. But I don't think that he's sold out to the Jews like Churchill did or Roosevelt uh, or, you know, like Bush did, obviously uh, Bush as well, just because he's arresting white nationalists. He might just be arresting white nationalists because, I mean, who knows for what reason. I don't, I don't know what white nationalists got arrested. I don't know if, if it was because of a certain incident. And I'm not, and I'm not trying to point the blame at the white nationalists at all. But I mean, in Russia, do we know for a fact that it's a crime to uh, deny the Holocaust, like it is in Germany? I don't know. I mean, do, do we? I don't know that. Yeah. Um, I know that in certain Eastern, like for example, I asked a guy on our forum. His name's uh, Bolg. Yeah. B O L G. I think he's in Bulgaria. Bulgaria. Okay. I asked him. I said, in your country. Is it illegal to deny the Holocaust? And he said, No, it's not. Okay, so you can deny it in uh, Bulgaria, and I'm assuming that it's not illegal in Russia either. So, you know, if he's arresting white nationalists, I'd like to know how many he arrested, under what circumstances, what happened, and what were they charged with. And, I mean, because we already know he's killing Jews. You know, he killed that reporter girl. I don't know what she did, but obviously she was running her mouth about something. Well, um, I, I see a, uh, I'm sorry, Todd, I see a thread on the forum here in this Free Talk Live, and it's by It's Molecular, mm-hmm. and he says, according to Eric Thompson, Eric Thompson is a guy that writes letters for uh, BNM main, main page. Mm-hmm. Uh, Putin says, according to Eric Thompson, this guy says Putin is a Jew. Yeah, but know. Well, you know, when I look at Putin, he does not look like uh, a Jew. He's not Jewish. I, I have my doubts on that. Yeah. yeah. That's another thing that I that really turns me off about, um, you know, a lot of people just... Because I'm coming on the program saying I don't know. Yeah, I don't know and either. All we're, all we're doing here is speculating. But we're speculating based upon some, fir- some certain facts that we know. Unless I know for sure about Putin's ancestry... You know, I'm going to assume that he's a Russian. Okay? Yeah, me too. I mean, anybody can look at Trotsky and say, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's a Jew. But, I mean, you look at Putin, he looks like an Aryan. You know, he does to me anyway. Putin does. You bet it. I mean, yeah. he's got these icy blue eyes and 
blonde hair and oh man, yeah. and, you know he's, he's got Aryan features. Yeah. He doesn't look like a a Turkish Mongol. Like uh, I mean, you know, you compare him to somebody like Madeleine Albright. I mean, Madeleine mm-hmm. Albright's got you know blue eyes, but you know, obviously for they're from you know European blood. But obviously, you you look at her; she's just a yeah. a hook nose. Kike. kike. She's a a kike. Who yeah. can't be a kike? I mean, I I I'd, I'd be surprised. I'd, yeah. I'd have to listen to the. I mean, just for somebody to come on, uh, you know, the, the internet and say he's a Jew, I'd have to see some serious proof. Yeah, I'm very skeptical of. Uh, if Eric Thompson said that, I, I I enjoy reading him, but uh, I think he's off base there. Hey, look, folks, uh, we've actually gone over. Uh, we got started late tonight, around around uh, eight twenty. And so this this shows this this segment has gone on for about an hour and uh, thirty minutes. So let me let's take a short break. Vanguard Radio for the precious eight percent. 